0: Welcome to Study Gateway's First Listens, where you get first listens to the first sessions on Study Gateway so you can find your next video Bible study. Hi there. I'm your host, Shelley Leith, and today is a real highlight for me. I get to share with you my good friend, Randy Frazee. Welcome, Randy.
1: Uh, Welcome, Shelley. I always love being with you. I wish we could spend an hour talking about our past memories of hanging out together and, and doing ministry together.
0: Yeah. Well, before we get started, I want everyone to be aware that by just listening to this podcast, you can get a 15% discount on any subscription plan at Study Gateway for the life of your subscription using the code podcast15. That code works on any type of plan personal, small group, or church. Go ahead and write that down podcast15. And thank you for being a first listens listener. So, Randy, we are in Season 6 of First Listens, which we're calling Explore and Discover. We are featuring studies that either take us right to a location in the Holy Land or that help us explore and discover something about the Bible we never knew before. Okay, so when my own small group went through the story, they all raved about Randy Frazee. He's he's now their favorite teacher um, that we've ever had. I mean, our group has been together for 20 years and we've done every video study under the sun and they pick you as their favorite teacher. And I think the thing that makes you their favorite is that what you teach is memorable. And I think that one of the things that makes your teaching so memorable is your opening illustrations. So, I want you to take us through your opening illustrations for each of the lessons in Acts and tell us the story and then tell us the point it makes about the book of Acts. So session one, your son, David. This one made me choke up, by the way.
1: Yeah, yeah, because you watch it all the way to the end, maybe. Oh, yeah. And you notice that he appears at the end of the video. Yeah, so we have a son uh, named David. Uh, he, uh, When he was five years old, I was pastoring a church in Fort Worth, the first pastorate, and the Sunday school teacher was uh, teaching on the church. And as, uh, as a five-year-old, one of the most common uh, illustrations that they use in children's ministry is the here's the church here's the steeple so it's basically you take your hands uh and 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 you bring them together uh i don't know how to describe it uh, uh this way it's not, you know you kind of bring them together and say here's the church and then you take your two index fingers and you stick it straight up and you go here's the steeple and then you turn your palms inside out and you wiggle your fingers open the door and see all the people So she was teaching that. Here's a church, here's a steeple, open the door, see all the people, and then she turned to the class and said, now you do it. But but, but before she could actually do anything about what she just asked, she she now knew that David couldn't do this, because David only has one hand. Oh, no. so, So my son David was born without a hand, and he couldn't do this illustration. But before she could intervene, his best friend reached out and said, David, here, use my hand. And uh, he gave his other hand and they did it together. And my point is that the church is not an individual. The Mm. church is a community of believers. And we should never do that illustration again with a single person. It is a community of believers who formed the body of Christ, who ignited this thing called the church in the book of Acts.
0: Oh man, powerful, memorable.
1: Yeah, and if you want to meet my son, uh, he's now 35 years old. He is a partner in a law firm in downtown uh, in in D.C. He loves Jesus, and uh, he might appear at the end of the video.
0: Okay, awesome. Okay, session two, Adele Gabori.
1: Yeah, Adele Gabori, uh, I told you in the introduction that I love neighboring, and uh, Adele Gabori is a tragic story of a lady that, uh, uh, th- it was. this was reported in the newspaper several years ago, uh, she uh, lived alone, and uh, she uh, uh, was constantly uh, trying to develop some community, and the neighbors were just really bothered by her. And so instead of... Uh, uh, they would they would uh, have uh, they would call the police on her. They would uh, they would uh, you know hire a boy to mow her lawn. They would talk about her. The only thing they never did was they never checked in on her. And uh, so finally the police came and uh, to check in on her. And they went through uh, her stoop and she, they found just a pile of trash and everything. And they found the remains of uh, of uh, of Miss Gebora. Uh, they said, I think I said the she had been there for maybe four years, I think it was, uh, and no one had ever checked on her. And the, the idea uh, uh, for, for that is that people are alone, and uh, that the church uh, in the Book of Acts, they didn't do that. If the church of the Book of Acts was in uh, uh, Adelaide's neighborhood, they would have checked in on her. That was the dynamic of the the Church of the Book of Acts. And that should be the dynamic in our challenge today that no neighbor falls through the cracks if believers are in that neighborhood. Beautiful.
0: Okay, session three. uh, You start off with an illustration from your childhood in the inner city
1: of Cleveland. Yes, um, uh, remind me, can you- you Um,
0: this This is how you became a Christian.
1: Oh, the story. Oh, sure. Yeah, this is a very important. because I, Yeah, I couldn't remember if I, which, if I told that story. Yeah, I grew up in an unchurched home, which is such a fascinating thing that I get to do what I do now. So um, I uh, was raised in an unchurched home, and uh, a man uh, lived two doors down from us. Uh, his family uh, went to this church, and he worked with my father. And he apparently invited my parents numerous times, and they never accepted. Mm-hmm. But one day he came and invited me and my younger sister to their summer vacation Bible school. was uh, June uh, 1974, back before there was ketchup, and uh, right back, back when the dead, back when the Dead Sea was just sick. That's how long ago it was. And uh, I went, and I had never been in church before, Shelley, in my life. And I heard the good news. It made it made absolute clear sense to me. Uh, and I went back. Uh, the next night and heard it again, and the third night I went back and uh, I said, okay, uh, I've got to do something. And I don't know if I actually tell this in the video, but I'll give this as an extra bonus if I don't. This was in 1970s, uh, back when everything was uh, uh, fashioned around the imminent return of Christ, you know, that Christ could come back at any moment, the cross and the switchblade, two men walking up a hill, one's left behind, one's left standing still. And I thought, even though they never said it, explicitly, they implied in the the youth gathering and in the big church gathering that Jesus was coming back on Friday at the end of Vacation Bible School. That's what I heard. And so I thought, I've got to really square this away. I've got to really settle this up. And so uh, the way I got to church at 14 is that they came and picked me up in the bus. And so I was on a church bus. That's how I got to church. And my neighbor was the mechanic, and the bus captain was a guy named Paul Villar. So on Thursday, between the youth service and the adult service, I decided to talk to Paul. And the reason I did is because they kept quoting him in church. They said, and Paul said, "I beseech you, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer your body." And I would turn around and look at the back of the wall, and like he never talks that way on the bus, but he must be their go-to guy, just because Paul. Had, you know, I, that, and so this is a real uh, helpful thing for people who teach children and students and people who have been in church. If, you, if We don't know who these people are. Right. And so Paul led me to the youth pastor, and it was there that I accepted Christ. And that connects to the book of Acts because the, the way in which the, the church overcame the pagan system, the pagan system is that their system was open. The pagan church became a private country club the priests stayed inside, they were supported by the Roman government, but the church was out in the neighborhoods. They didn't have buildings until, you know, the 300s. And so they would always invite people from the neighborhood into the uh, into the church. And that's what uh, Rodney Stark, the sociologist said, was one of the keys to the rise of Christianity is that the church was an open system, the pagans were a closed system, and it's interesting the word pagan literally means rural. Uh, They were given the name pagan because the church literally pushed them out into the rural areas of the urban centers. Isn't that fascinating?
0: Fascinating. Fascinating. Okay. And then for session six, your illustration involved your big brother,
1: Don. Yes, yes. I love this one. I called this session "Cry Uncle," right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I have a brother who's five years older than me, two younger sisters, and uh, my brother it was just an amazing guy. I'd love to tell more of the amazing stories. We still have a wonderful relationship together. My brother, uh, my brothers had a stroke in the last seven or eight years and can't speak now, mm-hmm. uh, and so uh, I, uh, talking to him and and just really working with him and and just he's he was a great big brother. Uh, growing up, whenever we, we did sandlot baseball, that's back when you know we didn't have all this organized stuff, and and uh, I was the little squatty kid, and my brother was always the captain because he was five years older, and he always made sure he selected me. So oh. that's a really good deal. But when my parents weren't looking, and he was ornery, because yes, my brother is a sinner, he we would fight. And sometimes, if everyone was around, he would he would let me you know get a you know let me you know be a fair match, but every now and again he would hold me down and he would take his uh he would take his knees and stick them into my into my shoulders and he would take the knuckle his middle knuckle and he would pound in the middle of my chest not enough to hurt me but just enough to irritate me and he would keep doing it he would not let up shelly until i cried uncle until i cried uncle and i had no choice and that is a beautiful illustration of Paul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. I mean, essentially, uh, Jesus confronts him, he puts him onto the ground, he puts his knees, Jesus puts his knees in his shoulders and starts taking his middle knuckle and saying, cry uncle. And that's exactly what Paul did. And that is the, the, the spiritual idea of surrender, Shelley, that Paul surrendered his life. And that's what we see happening over and over again in the book of Acts. And that's our call today is to surrender to the will of God for our lives. And if we do, well, this revolution, well, it will continue.
0: Hmm. Okay, to wrap up, throughout this study, you were referred to the findings of Dr. Rodney Stark, who is a sociologist. He's not a believer. But Dr. Stark has been very influential in your thinking for a number of years now. And there was a story that he told that you drew upon for the back for when we were doing the Believe series. And for you, it really drove home why our beliefs have such power. So, can you share that story and then tie it into your conclusions about the book of Acts?
1: I will. Um, yeah, Rodney Stark's uh, small book called The Rise of Christianity How the Marginalized Jesus Movement Overtook the Western World in a Few Short Centuries. Rodney was uh, not a, a believer, uh, he is a very renowned sociologist, and he just went to work to try to figure out how this guy from Nazareth that is a nobody, son of a carpenter, uh, is able to live 33 years, really only three years of ministry, recruits 12 knuckleheads, if you will, mostly knuckleheads, and, and how that that movement Uh, was able to grow. Uh, Basically, uh, by A.D. 350, by his calculations, the church had reached 33,888,000 people in just three short centuries, before uh, Constantine made Christianity the religion of Rome, before there was any buildings. And even back then, Shelley, they didn't have the Bible complete at this time. And so uh, Rodney did his research and was not incorporating any God factor whatsoever, just raw sociology. And he came up with, I calculated between uh, about eight dynamic things that happened. The one that really struck me was a two uh, epidemics that took place, or pandemics that took place. Uh, one uh, AD 125, the other AD 250. I think I have the numbers right there. The first they thought was uh, measles, the second one smallpox. And these pandemics actually ended up wiping out a fourth to a third of the entire Western population. Wow. I think, uh, uh, not not to diminish you know, the pandemic we, we experienced, but I think it was like something like 0.04, you know, it's like some 0.004%. So this was uh, a, an amazing loss of life. And what he observed, and he has letters and all kinds of documentation, is that the pagans at the first sign that uh, their family members were infected, they would throw them out in the street, uh, to fend for themselves. They're thinking, hey, listen, you're going to die. If you love us, you won't want us to die. So they threw him out to the street. But the church didn't do that. They, he has records that the church not only cared for each other, but they went out into the street and they brought that pagan in who persecuted them and brought them in and cared for them and nursed them. And so how did that cause the rise of Christianity? Well, number one, when the pandemic is over and people are asking, okay, what church do we wanna belong to? Hey, I wanna belong to a a family of believers that are not gonna throw me out at the first time that I have an infection. And the second thing uh, that Rodney uh, reports, something they didn't know then that we know now, that when a person is loved and uh, and nursed and caressed and looked in the eye as though they are valuable, uh, that uh, it is a strong medicine. It is a strong medicine that, uh, that cre- created uh, uh, a mortality rate that caused many of them to survive even in the absence of a vaccine. And uh, they didn't know that. So why did they do it? They didn't know that. It's because, Rodney Stark said, who's not a believer, it's because they actually believed Mm. They actually believe what the teachings were being given to them by Jesus and the apostles. Beliefs like God loves you, beliefs like you are to love one another, beliefs like you are to love your neighbor uh, as yourself, beliefs that you're even to love your enemy. And you're in a no-lose situation because you now have eternal life through Jesus mm. Christ. So these people thought, we're in a no-lose situation. This guy gave us life. What's the worst thing that could happen? The worst thing that's happened is that we go to be with Jesus and we're set up for the kingdom to come. And they believed it so severely. And the application here is that if we were to believe mm. at this level of severity, then we would see the same things happening that happen in the book of Acts.
0: Awesome. Well, Randy, thank you so much for being with me today. This has been so fascinating. And now I am pleased to present session one of Acts, the revolution of faith called, Here's the Church.
1: We have a son named David who was born without a hand. Everything just below his left elbow is missing. One day, when he was five years old, he was in Sunday school at the church where I was the pastor. The teacher was teaching the children about the church. She decided to use a very familiar hand illustration to make her point. Now, if you know it, I invite you to do it with me. Are you ready? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door and see all the people. She then turned to the class and asked them to try it. It quickly dawned on her that this is something my son just couldn't do. But before she can intervene, our son's best friend reached over to David and said, Here, David, use my hand. So why don't you go ahead and give it a try with somebody? Maybe the person sitting next to you, you take your right hand, they take their left hand, and let's do it together. Ready? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door. And see all the people. Now that exercise should never be done by an individual again, because the church is not an individual, but a community and a powerful one at that. As we begin our study through the New Testament book of Acts, we're going to learn about the birth of the church and how it overtook the world to the point where today there is an estimated 2.4 billion followers of Jesus. I'm calling this the revolution of of faith. The word revolution carries two ideas, first a complete change, like the overthrow of a government or social order in favor of a new system. The most recognizable for us is the American Revolutionary War from 1775 to 1783. Here the United States of America gained independence from Great Britain and it ushered in a whole new way of life. Secondly, it represents a complete circle. You start here and come back to here. A great example of this would be the circling of the earth around the sun. The church that Jesus founded at the opening of the book of Acts carries both of these ideas, a complete change and a complete circle. Let me explain both of these ideas with you And I'm going to invite you to hold on to your seats. Let's first of all look at a complete change. The book of Acts opens. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. The writer of this book is a Gentile, meaning not a Jew, and a physician and a disciple of Jesus named Luke, Dr. Luke, to me and you. His former book that bears his name, Dr. Luke's second book, the book of Acts, are written to a guy named Theophilus. Now, Theophilus is likely a Roman official or at least a person in high position and wealthy. Theophilus is a disciple of Jesus, and Luke wants to tell him the whole story of Jesus and the spread of the church so his faith could be more certain and stronger. Now, that's a good goal for us in this study together. He's going to start off by connecting how his first book ended and how this new work begins. At the end of Luke's gospel, Jesus is crucified, rises from the dead, and appears to the first disciples over a 40-day period, teaching them about the new world order called the kingdom of God. Now Luke is going to remind us of something Jesus said to the disciples during those 40 days. but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth." Jesus told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem, a place that we know as the upper room. It is here that God the Father was going to give them a gift, the Holy Spirit. As Jesus ascended back to the Father, the Holy Spirit was going to come down and continue the work of Jesus through the believers in that room. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, was going to be the power source for these rather ordinary Galileans. As Paul would later tell us, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now living in you. When this new power came upon them, they would use it to continue the revolution of the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus commissioned them to take territory, starting in Jerusalem, where they were living, and spread it out to Judea, the region around Jerusalem, and then take it north to Samaria, the region above them, and then bit by bit to the ends of the earth. And this is exactly what happened over just 29 years. As a matter of fact, it is the outline of the entire book. It begins in Jerusalem, and then it moves to Judea and Samaria, Then it moves north to Syria, then to the region of Cyprus and Galatia, then to Macedonia, Achaia, and Asia, and finally it hits Rome. And once it hits Rome, the capital city of the mighty Roman Empire, it spreads everywhere. This, my friends, is a revolution. Dr. Rodney Stark would agree. Dr. Stark was a professor of sociology at the University of Washington. And although he was not a personal believer in Jesus, he was mesmerized by how this movement that started with a marginalized guy like Jesus could pull this off. So he set out to study this revolution of faith using the pure science of sociology. He later published his findings in a book entitled The Rise of Christianity. Now catch the subtitle, How the Obscure Marginal Jesus Movement became the dominant religious force in the Western world in a few centuries. Here are his scientific calculations. The movement starts with Jesus, a marginalized guy. He picks up 12 marginalized men from Galilee, mostly fishermen. Galileans were modern-day hicks, if you would, who spoke in a country twang. By 8350, the movement spread from Jesus, One to 33,882,008 people, or 56.5% of the entire Western world population. This, my friends, is a revolution, a revolution of faith.
0: All right, that was Randy's first mention of Dr. Rodney Stark in this session, and he's going to get back to some of his fascinating insights in just a bit. We are listening to the first session of ACTS, The Revolution of Faith by Randy Frazee. And as a bonus for our listeners, we have unlocked this session on Study Gateway, so you can go there and watch the entire first session for free is part of the 40 Days Through the Word series published by Harper Christian Resources and streaming on Study Gateway. For our First listen listeners, when you use the promo code PODCAST15 at studygateway.com, you'll get any size of plan for yourself, your small group, or your whole church at a 15% savings for life. And for a complete experience with ACTS, Take advantage of our publisher direct pricing on the essential Bible study guide designed to be used with the videos. The study guide gives you the discussion questions for your group and the personal exercises to dig deeper into the scriptures on your own between sessions. Get all the details at studygateway.com. And now let's return to Randy Frazee who just told us about how the movement Jesus started grew to 33 million people in just 350 years.
1: Now the question is, how did they do it? This is where our second definition of revolution comes in. It's a complete circle. So as promised, the Holy Spirit comes down upon the 120 disciples who are huddled together in the upper room. Filled with the Holy Spirit, the disciples exit the room out into the busy streets of Jerusalem right in the middle of the celebration of Pentecost, which would have brought thousands of Jewish people from all over Jerusalem. Now, Peter, yes, the same guy who just a few days earlier denied he even knew Jesus to a junior high student, is now boldly telling Jesus' story from that single sermon, 3,000 new believers are baptized. The difference? Peter now has the Holy Spirit empowering him. There are now 3,120 believers in Jerusalem. Where in the world are they going to gather? We are told that they gathered in homes. Historians tell us that the average home at that time would hold about 30 people. So if you do the math, 3,000 divided by 30 equals 100 homes. The church was honeycombed throughout the city of Jerusalem. Now, what did they do when they met together in these 100 homes? Take a look at Acts chapter two, beginning in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I love this. First note that they devoted themselves to four things. First, they devoted themselves to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Every day, they would gather at the temple courts, which today would be somewhat equivalent to the public mall with a super religious vibe going on. They would then gather in small groups of 30 or so in homes and share a meal together centered around the Lord's Supper or communion. Basically, they created a sense of belonging. They were family. They were a community. They weren't alone. They supported each other. Next, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and prayer. When they gathered, they read out loud the scriptures and prayed. They were growing spiritually. They were being transformed day by day into the image of Christ, both individually and corporately. We are told that from that overflow of their sense of belonging and their growing together, they simply began to give to anyone who had need. They were serving each other and those who were living in the houses right around them. And all of the neighbors loved them. Why, of course, they were meeting their neighbors at their point of pain, expecting nothing in return. And what was the net result? Here's how the paragraph comes to an end. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. A person who didn't know Jesus was ministered to by the believers right around them and they were touched and they asked if they could become a part of this new family of believers and the answer was always yes. The circle of belonging is complete. A full revolution. This was happening every single day all over Jerusalem. The flywheel of this new revolution began to spin out of control and we are given this report at the end of this first section of the book of Acts. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to faith. Now back to Dr. Stark. His quest was what caused the rise of the Christian revolution in such a short period of time. Here is one of his conclusions from his research. He writes, most new religious movements fail because they quickly become closed or semi-closed networks. That is, they fail to keep forming and sustaining attachments to outsiders and thereby lose the capacity to grow. Thus, if we are to better understand the rise of Christianity, we must discover how the early Christians maintained open networks, for it would seem certain that they did. The pagan religion that worshipped mythological gods that we studied in high school was sponsored by the Roman government with tax dollars, and it was a closed system. They acted more like a private country club. The first Christians, on the other hand, were open to new people coming into their fellowship. They invited their family members and their neighbors that lived right around them, not in palatial cathedrals with locks on the doors, but into their homes, and the people came and were welcomed all kinds of people. This is one of the secret sauces of their success. So where are we today with the revolution? Well, for years now, I have heard that faith and church attendance in America is declining, and it has discouraged me on so many levels. Maybe you heard the same thing. Dr. Stark has released another book on the current state of this revolution. It's entitled, America's Blessing, How Religion Benefits Everyone, Including Atheists. As it turns out, we haven't been given the true facts about American Christianity. The revolution continues. Why? Well, Stark writes Many American intellectuals, especially those who frequent faculty lounges and the staff of national news media, regret these facts of our religious life. Follow the facts with me. By 1776, only 17% of Americans belonged to a local congregation. By 1850, one third of Americans belonged to a local congregation. By the 20th century, 50% of Americans belonged to a church. Today, listen to this, about 70% of people are affiliated with a local church. Now, the global pandemic closed the doors of the church worldwide in some places for over a year, but it didn't close the church. Now that we are coming on the other side of the pandemic, I sense, at least anecdotally, that the church has lost a significant number of fringe participants, but those who have stayed with it have come back stronger than ever with a deeper commitment to following Jesus. Not only is the church growing, but we have created enormous blessing for America, not just for Christians, but for everyone, even atheists. And I will share these rich blessings over the remaining lessons. Now, here's the bottom line. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a part of this revolution. You belong. You're a part of the amazing family of God. You are loved. You are known. You're accepted. You're not alone. And what an amazing gift. Secondly, you are growing. God accepts you where you're at, but he has no intention in keeping you there. As you dive into his word and pray in community, like these early Christians, you too are becoming more and more like Jesus. In this way, you are fulfilling the destiny God set out for you even before you were born. And as you gather together with believers surrounding you, you are called to serve, to meet the needs of the people around you, paying forward the love that Christ deposited in you. And here's what's going to happen. One day, a person you helped, that you touched by your love, is going to ask if they can become a part of all this, and your answer will be, yes. Why? Because someone did this for you. This, my friends, is the revolution of faith. Okay, let's wrap up with doing the illustration one more time with our hands, but I'd like to invite someone special to do it with me this time. Well, you might remember the little boy I talked about at the beginning of the video. He was five years old at the time. Well, today he's 35 years old. Welcome, my son, David. Are you ready, son? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Here's the church, here's the steeple. Open the door and see all the people.
0: So you have to go to StudyGateway.com and watch this session, which we have unlocked, so you can see Randy's son, David, and watch them do Here's the Church together. It is a tearjerker moment, folks. I hope you enjoyed this session from Acts, the Revolution of Faith, a video Bible study by Randy Frazee, published by Harbor Christian Resources, and streaming on Study Gateway. Here at Study Gateway, you can find your favorite authors, pastors, and Bible teachers all in one place. We're the only streaming video subscription service that offers plans for individuals, small groups, and has user-based pricing for churches, no matter what the size. And don't forget, you can use the promo code PODCAST15 to get a 15% savings on the plan of your choice, and that discounted rate lasts as long as you keep your subscription study gateway you also get a direct link to our store where you get publisher direct pricing on the essential bible study guide for acts this study guide with its exercises and projects and discussion questions helps you get the most out of this study is acts the revolution of faith going to be your next study get started right now by going to studygateway.com click start free trial and use the promo code podcast 15 at checkout Make sure you rate and review this podcast so other people can find this show too. And join me next time when we'll get to explore a wonderful place and discover something new along the way.